Hey, this is Mark A. Altman, and do you want to see something really spooky? Ooh, spooky, very spooky. Well, you know what's coming to Richmond, Virginia? Nightmare Weekend. And you know what else is coming to Richmond, Virginia? It's me and Ashley Edward Miller. Yes, the legendary Ashley Edward Miller that you know and love from Inglorious Trexperts in the 4-3 movie, along with me as we descend with a bunch of happy haunts on Nightmare Weekend, October 13th through the 15th, October 13th through the 15th in Richmond, Virginia. And we're not coming alone because there's also going to be such great horror icons as Danny Trejo, Tony Todd, and if you don't think we're going to ask you about The Visitor, you're crazy, Richard Dreyfus, Jeffrey Combs. You know, he did these horror movies, too. It wasn't just Star Trek. <laughs> we have a very animated or reanimated conversation with him. The stars of American Werewolf in London, David Naughton and Griffin Dunn. Boy, and if Jenny Agutter were there, I think we would probably pay to go ourselves. Um, Cheeto Brothers, Ken Foray. The stars of Fright Night, William Ragsdale and Chris Sarandon. Andrew Devoff. Now, I gotta tell you, I've been re-watching Lost. He's really good in that. There's gonna be an E.T. reunion with Henry Thomas, D. Wallace, Robert McNaughton, C. Thomas Howe, and more. And so many other guests, including Laura Birch, Vanessa Shaw, who will probably not be talking about working with Kubrick, although I'd like to talk to her about that. Tim Reed from WKRP in Cincinnati. No less Nesman, though. Samantha Mathis, and many, many more. So, come join Ashley Edward Miller, myself, and a bunch of great horror stars in Richmond, Virginia at Nightmare Weekend. We hope to see you there. Find out more at galaxycon.com. That's galaxycon.com, and we'll see you at Nightmare Weekend, October 13th through the 15th. And if you say it, you have to say it like this, Nightmare Weekend. Anyway, happy Halloween. <laughs> okay, bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, here we go. Deck 78.
The spice expands consciousness. The spice is vital to space travel. The Spacing Guild and its navigators, who the spice has mutated over 4,000 years, use the orange spice gas, which gives them the ability to fold space. That is, travel to any part of the universe without moving. Oh yes, I forgot to tell you, the spice exists on only one planet in the entire universe. A desolate, dry planet with vast deserts. Hidden away within the rocks of these deserts are a people known as the Fremen, who have long held a prophecy that a man would come, a messiah, who would lead them to true freedom. The planet is Arrakis, also known as Dune. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. We're back on Deck 78 with the Dexperts, Steve Melching, <laughs> Ashley Edward Miller, and Derek Docterman. And today we're and today <laughs> we're joined by Ryan Britt, author of the new book. The spice must flow. And no, it's not a cooking tome. It's about Dune. Dune. And we are excited. I know that. Dune. We're excited. Dude. To sit to, what does mine say? And- Sorry. Whoa. We're excited to sit down and talk to Ryan about <laughs> uh, the whole history of Dune. He has some great insights to share with us. So uh, let's, without any further ado, beam him on to Deck 78. Well, we're thrilled to have Ryan Britt back with us uh, to talk about nothing other than the very short treks. How? Oh, oh wait a second. <laughs> uh, we're actually here to, because the prolific Mr. Britt is back with another book, and it's terrific. It's called The Spice Must Flow, the story of Dune from cult novels to visionary sci-fi movies, and uh, gets a rave review from Carl McLaughlin on, on the cover, and and it's just, it's from Plume, uh, who published Come on in, have a Phases seat, on share Stun. some of our water. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, share, well, plenty of water for this one. And, uh, I must say that uh, you know it's a, it's 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 a terrific it's a terrific book. I really enjoyed reading it, and um, I'm uh, I'm excited to talk to you about uh, Dune. Although you know, I now can't do my oral history. Remember the tooth, which I was really looking forward. to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, I think you can still do an oral history. I think you definitely could. I, there's a lot that I didn't get get into in this. So well, yeah. I, you know, that's what I like about this. I was able to read this. It was easy and breezy to read. It yeah. wasn't one of these long, ridiculous tomes like those that all like those oral history. Yeah. Uh, what was the twenty-five year, fifty-year mission or something? I don't know. But, but yet, I felt like I got a really good overview of the whole process. And I want to ask you about that specifically because what was so interesting, and I'm not a complete like I come to Dune through the movies more than through the books. Um, and I was fascinated by the fact that Frank Herbert was such a terrible author and had written Spice World or what, what was it? Spice the, Planet, yeah. Spice Planet, yeah. Spice World was something else. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Spice Planet, and and it was just all the and somehow he, he he then does it, writes Dune and it's serialized in analog, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, and it's I brilliant. 
Like, how did that tell us a little bit about that whole? He seems like such a fascinating guy. Yeah, and he's even more fascinating when you talk to people that knew him. And there's not many of them around that are willing right. to talk. <laughs> um, oh, really? Well, the big the big uh, deal with my book is I'm the only person that I'm aware of who has interviewed his widow, Theresa yeah. Shackelford. And she and, was uh, great. She gave you great material. She was very young when she met him, and she married him in the years uh, right before he died. And so that's kind of she was a bit 21, of right? You don't even you like wow. You, you, you do the math. She was 30. She was, oh, 30. She was 30. Okay. She was 30. Yeah. Uh, she was grown up. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think that um, to answer your question, yeah, like so it's not like, Manhattan with uh, with Frank Muriel Hemingway. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no, not quite. Uh, yeah, the, but yeah, I love that story you tell. How she's like his handler, his PR handler, and and she doesn't think twice about it. And his his wife has just died, who by all accounts is just totally lovely. And you know, by the end of the weekend, he's like obsessed with her. It's it's, it's anyway. I'm getting ahead of myself. Continue yeah, with your no, story. But I, I think that just um, to answer your question directly is that yeah, you know, Frank Herbert had been a journalist and a, and writing short science fiction had written one novel, The Dragon in the Sea, before writing Dune. And, you know, everybody sort of starts the story of Dune with Frank Herbert wrote Dune, and then he was, you know, this famous science fiction author. But, you know, he'd been publishing stories in Analog with John Campbell, um, you know, for a decade um, before he sold Dune World, which became Dune. And during that time, he was a journalist who dabbled in a lot of topics, one of which was ecology. And he was interested in this one particular story about how in Oregon, uh, you know, these dry land ecologists were using... Um, you know, these uh, seagrass basically to prevent these dunes from from moving glacially over time. And he wanted to sell this as this huge expose. And his agent, who was uh, Lurton Blassingame, was Robert A. Heinlein's agent, mm. which I think I make a joke in the book would be like having Hemingway's agent, like in terms right. of like science fiction credibility. Mm -hmm. Um so, you know, he had a really good agent, but it wasn't like he wasn't making ends meet and Beverly, his second wife, they were moving around. They were dodging the IRS, you know, they weren't doing great, but he had a really cockamamie idea for this uh, nonfiction story, which he couldn't sell. And um, he eventually turned it into a, a draft of something called Spice Planet, which is absolutely abysmal. Whether you look at the um, notes that he wrote for it or the recreation that his son and Kevin J. Anderson did of it. And then eventually, with some input from his wife and input from John Campbell at Analog, he turned it into Dune World, um, which, you know, this is the first issue of Dune World and Analog um, mm. from uh, 1963 December issue, right? So it would have been on the stands sometime in November of 63, exactly 60 years ago. Um, you know, and it was just the first, it was three parts, which is basically just like the first third of the novel. The, the mm. first Denis Veneuve movie gets like a little bit past the ending of the first serial. Right. Um, and, you know, it was a huge hit with the science fiction community. And this was when Analog was still owned by Condé Nast. Mm. You know, so it was the New Yorker of science fiction. Yeah. But on the other side of it is Analog in the science fiction community was on the decline because people like Ellison were saying, you know, that John Campbell was a racist, which was true. And that, um, you know, it wasn't what it once was. And a xenophobe. So, he was afraid of things from outer space. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, so it's an interesting story because, as I'm sure you guys all know, John Campbell is the guy who, like, made Asimov, right? Like, he right. he he in, he invented Asimov, you know, like, and he invented, you know, he shepherded Heinlein and, Heinlein and Asimov's careers a decade before Herbert got came around. So Herbert's an older guy coming into an, a scene that's been established, but 
you know, he crosses over between that old generation of golden age sci-fi into what we were calling, you know, what we now call the new wave with people like Le Guin and Ellison and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Sam Blaney, all those people that, you know, were associated with all those other things that we love. Um, you know, so he's a very, he's in a very interesting point in history of making this happen. Well, he, he brings the shortening of the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Darren, I, you, I, you're just killing it with these, you know. <laughs> but yeah. At some point though, Ryan, you just have to say, oh, I forgot to tell you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Bring that out when you have something to add. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but, well, the one thing I did want to say to you, Mark, is that I appreciate you saying that it was easy and breezy. I did intend this to be uh, an airport book. You know what I mean? To say, like, because I was so mm -hmm. pissed. I started, got into, you know, science fiction and fantasy from working in bookstores when I was in my teens. You know, and, I, and people would always just act like Dune was this really unapproachable, hard thing to get into yeah. right and they oh you don't get it and even when you read it you don't get it and maybe it's even ruined by reading it you know like you know you, <laughs> you, you just you got to think about doing you can't even read it you know it's like and that just pissed me off and then as i got older and i started becoming a journalist and you know i was just like this is this is nuts you know people can follow game of thrones you know and that's you know however many books and seasons people don't have any problem following these things this is an yeah. old talking point this is the most best selling science fiction novel series of all time there's no way it's that unapproachable um in the same way that people say this shit about foundation or you know any any other older science fiction novels they talk right. about how they're hard to get in it's like it's not true I, but I, I will say that foundation is not super well written I, I mean look i love foundation but asimov is not what we would call a wordsmith no, I mean, and, although, and, but no, actually, you know, actually, you're right though. And Foundation's a great example, right? Because Herbert takes a lot of the stuff from Foundation, predicting mm -hmm. the future. Is that a good idea? Right. Um, but he makes it into more of a readable novel with right. cooler characters, and you know, he it is a better series than Foundation. Yep. Um, the Foundation TV series is probably what Dune should have been as a TV series. Um, but that's neither here nor there. You mean totally unrelated to Doom? <laughs> I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean, taking its time. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like, yes. I, you know, like, that's all I mean. It's, it's scope. And I, I love the way that show looks. We can quibble on 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 aspects of it, but I think that it... it I, I totally like the show. I loved season two. I just too. wish it was actually foundation. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, that's true. That is but true. I, I think some people were maybe... Um, nervous about approaching dune because it, there's this perception that it's really complicated and you need you know a glossary of terms right. to understand what's going on and i know at some one point i think in the early 80s or late 70s they published the dune encyclopedia which is just an entire book i have it on my shelf somewhere yeah that, right thing, <laughs> that yeah. thing which uh you know what is it like four or five hundred pages of uh you know just all the the minutia yeah. and the straight terminology of the world of the universe. Yeah, but Universal got it down to one page. <laughs> <laughs> well, the Dune Encyclopedia is funny because it was also like rendered non-canon by the uh, state like immediately after Herbert <laughs> died. So funny. So like I remember talking to, to Denis Veneuve about the Encyclopedia before the new film came out, and he was like, "Oh, they won't let me even talk about it." I want to keep incorporating things from the encyclopedia, but oh, the estate won't funny. let me. Which is so funny, right? Because it's like, it, you know, I, I like to say, I've said this to some friends before, we talk about fandoms, and there's not really, there's no Dune conventions, right? 
there's no like Dune fandom, and yet because there all are the beach parties and <laughs> also still suits in Vegas in the middle of the summer. <laughs> what I mean to say is that like this was like an academic and his some and his buddies, right? You know, that got together and you know and and there's still shit missing in it. You know what I mean? Right. You're kind of like. I'd be like looking something up and I'd be like, there's that's not even in there. What the hell? You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's not, it's not like Trek or Star Wars in that way or Doctor Who in that way. It it has a um it has a sneaky mainstream fandom, which is something that I think people don't realize about it. And my favorite example of this is my friend uh Karen Russell, who is the Pulitzer Surprise novelist who wrote Swamplandia. And, you know, she this is like one of her favorite novels of all time. And then you know, you talk to other people who are like big novelists who are working today, like, you know, Shea Bone's a good example, right? Mm-hmm. Completely different type of writer than someone like Karen Russell. Karen Russell would be like, oh, that's one of my favorite novels of all time. You know, and so I think that it just has, at the risk of sounding pretentious, it's kind of like the great Gatsby of science fiction. That's you know, but like five times as long, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. More than that. <laughs> More than that, yeah. And Daisy can read your mind. <laughs> the yeah, love- well, I, yeah. The loud secret about Dune is that it is fun to be a fan of Dune and look down at others who are not. Um, it's, it is, it is the gatekeeping book, right? Because those who manage to get through it and understand it, um, are, have a sense of pride and a sense of accomplishment. And they were super high at the time. Well, maybe or maybe not, but it's, it's, it is, it is something that people enjoy being, uh, uppity about. And it's, uh, you know, it, as, as some Star Trek fans have been in the past and Star Wars fans and every fandom, but there is nothing so, um, haughty as a Dune fan, a Dune (laughs) literary fan. Yeah. That, that's probably true. I, I do think that some of it has splintered a bit, you know, because my, I'm 42. So my Dune Awakening was the Alec Newman, William Hurt series. Right. Because it came came out on the side. And that was, you know, say what you will about that era, but like, you know, three years later, you've got Battlestar, you know, the Children of Dune miniseries for the time was pretty novel and um, had a great cast, you know. Um, And so I've talked to, as you know, Mark, I've talked to John Harrison and Alec Newman for this book. And, you know, I was reading that when I was right out of high school. And so I was, it hit me in the right spot to yeah. have that miniseries come out and be like, oh, this is the journey. And and knowing from my bookstore snob friends that it was this, um, you know, this important science fiction novel. Right. It wasn't kid stuff. So I do think that there isn't a, something my wife said that I thought was really smart is when we watched the new film, when it came out, she was like, finally, a sci-fi movie where there's not somebody wisecracking every three seconds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, I thought that was a really good observation because she mm. was like, it's just nice to have something that's for grown-ups. Um, and I think that that is ultimately what sets it apart, maybe, Darren. And maybe that is why there's that haughtiness that you... And, and you know, Ashley, as you say, you know, it also encourages you to get high and do drugs and that that's actually probably... A well, good it thing. encourages yeah. Ashley. And, uh, yeah. Actually, <laughs> the, the thing that, that most concerns me now about having said that is that... Um, that my my now fourteen year old he was twelve at the time I think um, saw that movie and loved it like he loved it and I think that was probably his first experience with genre that was that was serious in that way that wasn't like there's a quip you yeah. know every every now and again that it was it was that there was about things and big ideas that I think 
you know, very much kind of linked back to what's in the book and actually inspired him to read it. So right. it definitely has an earnestness and a seriousness to it that um, really stands out in this era of, you know, everything's, you know, got to be taken at a distance and we've got to, you know, um, comment on what we're watching while we're watching it. When when you said that, I immediately flashed in my brain, Ernest saves Arrakis. <laughs> <laughs> it's raining on Arrakis. Well, I think uh, Kevin hey, Anderson and Brian Herbert wrote Hell that Hell yeah, That's he is a question. Yeah, 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 I'll put it to you this way. My, my publisher is the same publisher that is... Um, that owns Berkeley, which does the Herbert novels. So right. there was some, there was a few on the, on, on the Brian and uh, Kevin novels that I toned down a bit. Right. Um, just, but, um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> you know, to your, to your point though, is I, I do think that it's worth pointing out that when you read it, like the, just the first story, it doesn't, it, it just reads as like a really kick-ass short story yeah. in a magazine. You know, it's easily the best thing in this issue, you know, and so I think that there's a reason, you know, Philip K. Dick was a big fan of Dune and of Herbert, and I think that there's a reason, again, it's a big book that he intended to publish as three books, and I think that that's the other thing worth pointing out mm -hmm. here, right? Like, in the time, science fiction novels were, you know, 130 pages, you know, you look at the, all those old Delaney books, um, you know, or whoever, you know, they're really, really short. Philip K. Dick's a great example, right? Like, those books are super super short so he wanted it to be three books which is why the first novel is so long um and you know and nobody would buy it in any way shape or form um and the only reason it got bought is because of this guy sterling lanier who was uh worked at an auto automotive repair company called chilton chilton books mm -hmm. and chilton, was yeah. a science fiction aficionado and had published short stories himself but his day job was an editor at an automotive repair company and he was a big Lord of the Rings fan. Right. He read Dune World in its serialized form and analog, and he just fucking offered Lurton Blessing Game the money. 20-plus publishers had turned down Dune, but it took one guy who was kind of this eccentric... This, is, this guy, you know, in the research I was able to do and confirm, he definitely corresponded with Tolkien a lot. Mm. And Tolkien told him, I... I, I I dislike Dune with some intensity after it was published. But, um, but, uh, which is, of course, galling because there's that Arthur C. Clarke quote that's so famous where Clarke says, I find nothing to compare it to other than Lord of the Rings, which, you know, Tolkien was probably just mortified right. by. But um, this guy before Dune existed, Lanier, who worked at Chilton, you know, he was crafting DIY little figurines of the of the Lord of the Rings fellowship and mailing them to J.R.R. Tolkien. <laughs> so this guy was darling, right? Just an adorable uh, man that was just... Uh, and, or a stalker. And, or a weirdo, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the point is, is that it just it, it is just shocking to me because, you know, if this had just stayed a serial, right, if it just been like some issues in a magazine, I mean, how often do people sit around and go, oh, the great serial that was then turned into mm. a, a film or a TV? No, it's always a novel. You know, right. same thing with Foundation. They, those were just stories yep. that were interconnected. Bradbury, you know, Fahrenheit 451, whatever, you know, but the fact that it became a book that people could get haughty about that having read is all down to one guy who worked in an automotive repair company who was a big, big fan of, uh, the, you know, the Lord of the Rings. And I think that's fascinating because that's just like, I don't know of any parallel. Do you guys know of any other parallel science fiction origin story that that is that much of a knife's edge of just not existing at all? Not that I know of. 
I mean, it's, no. it's, uh, it's, it's pretty singular. Um, I, I don't know if but, you, I don't know if you mentioned this in your, in your book. Um, but Darren, but, you could say before you ask that question, just yeah. to answer it before this gets lost. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars, Star mm-hmm. Trek. These are all franchises that almost never happened. I the mean, Sopranos. I mean, look, look at <laughs> Lucas makes the most successful movie of 1973, one of the most successful movies of 1973, right? American Graffiti, yeah. huge hit, makes a ton of money for the studio. He can't get the studio to make Star Wars. And I mean, Fox, how many times did they want to cancel that? And it's the same thing with Roddenberry and Star Trek. Sure. You know, so I CBS yeah, but passes. They, but, but they didn't have an existing version of it in a magazine. Well, yeah, I yeah. guess with Roddenberry, it would be the... But, I mean, be, I'm not saying literally. Player. He's talking right. about these great sci-fi visionaries no, 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 who course. there by the grace of God got their epic, you know, tombstone franchise yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, greenlit, you know, I mean, or made. So, anyway, Darren, but, please continue uh, with your question. No, my, my question was that um, the the book form of the, uh, of the serial, did those sections that were published... Did they undergo any changes when they were combined into book form? Not as many as you might think. My favorite thing is that some of the profanity was removed in the magazine version. <laughs> and, ah, and, and, like and, the best, and reconstituted the best, for the book. Reconstituted the book. My favorite being in the very first scene when Felger Carb. <laughs> no, it's 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 even more hilarious than that. Is it is it's it, when Paul is being tested um by by the Reverend Mother. Right. Uh, the Reverend Mother, we're in her POV and she's like, that Jessica, <laughs> instead of damn Jessica, uh. that Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it is in this, in this, in, in, in the first issue. And that's down to a, um, I learned from uh, this guy, Alec Nevola Lee, who did this wonderful book uh, called Astounding, which is the history of the golden age of Hubbard and, and Campbell and all those early magazines and Asimov and Heinlein is that there was an editor that just took swear words out of stories <laughs> and analog, but took it upon herself. It was not, it was a copy editor. It wasn't even Campbell. Right. So there's weird things like that. There's some sort of like, um, you know, some things cleaned up and, and sort of condensed, but funnily enough, no, like if you read them side by side, which was really fun to do, honestly, because when you read Dune in, 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 uh, 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 eight magazine installments. Right. It's it does it's it's really fun. It's like a it's like reading it's like an episode of a TV show, right? Right. Um, and then you put yeah, I would compare them side by side with the chapters, and they're not that different. The biggest difference is that he didn't have any of the appendices um, right. with the with that right. So then all the sort of backstory of the ecology and the justification that was all made for the novel exclusively. Right. And there that was also sense. like a last time on Dune. You know, in a lot of right. ways, that um, doesn't exist in the novel, obviously. But you know, it, it's uh, it's not like you know we were talking about Foundation earlier. You know, those were like where the stories were written like years and years apart, yes, and they weren't like really connected at all. Um, and that they that's that was never intended to be a novel. This always right. kind of was, and so you know, it, it you know a lot of those old sci-fi novels, Fahrenheit four fifty one, Martian Chronicles, you know, they're not they were all what are called fix ups, as I'm sure you guys know. Right. Know, where they just made it into a novel later. Dune reads much better than that in magazine mm-hmm. form. One of the things I think that's so interesting, because obviously, you know, once you get past the 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 first three books, you know, it's sort of like Star Trek. It's a law of diminishing returns. But then you do this great chapter on God Emperor of Dune, where um you 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 talk about the value of that, which is really fun. Um, but it's it, what's interesting is, you know, until the Villeneuve movie came. 
you know, none of the media incarnations was that embraced. I mean, we all love the David Lynchton, but yet you got so many people to cooperate with you. Like you have Kyle McLaughlin, who gives some great interviews about Dune. <laughs> and I assume, Patrick, you were talking to about something else and slipped the Dune question in. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I tricked Patrick into <laughs> it. But you, but you yeah. know Patrick, he loves he loves it if you're talking to him about Trek to talk about something else. Right, yes, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. um, you know yeah. how he is, you know, like. It, well, that was like they all I, are. They all are, yeah. I mean, with, I, had t I so Kyle was very generous. Uh, with his time, with this, um, I took a little bit of tracking tracking him down. So now you can do the showgirls oral history. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> oh, yeah. He yeah. wants to write that. <laughs> <laughs> What's that? Well, that yeah, I would do that with like a, as a dual with that and RoboCop right at the same time. Right, just have it be nice. one book where you flip yeah. it over, right? Um, <laughs> Dead or alive, you're coming with me. <laughs> yeah, what? <laughs> Kyle, <laughs> Kyle always struck me as someone who was a real fan of this stuff. Well, he is. So the story that I tell in the book is that he, you know, had read the book as a teenager before being cast. And his journey, it's eerie because he was in Seattle as a theater actor who was an unknown in this watery world and he was in Caladan and then he goes to the desert right. to become Paul, you know, what I in mean? Mexico and, where they filmed in Mexico. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you know, even arguably going to LA was a different journey, you right. know, um, to Hollywood. But um, yeah, you know, he says to me and uh, in the book and to others that, you know, he viewed himself and he says this in interviews that are contemporaneous too, from the eighties, you know, before in the lead up to the film, he's like, I am Paul. I, I thought myself as Paul. Um, but yeah, he was a hardcore fan. You know, he told me that when he was younger and had seen Star Wars, that he was like, that looks like Dune. That 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 <laughs> carcass of that thing, that's from Dune. Like he was like one of yeah. the original, like Star Wars is ripping off Dune. You know, he was like a teenager <laughs> at that point. So yeah, he's, I mean, he, he's as great as you can imagine as a guy. Um, but um, it is fascinating to me that he, you know, again, you know, that, that those dominoes fall. We don't have a Lord of the Rings mega fan reaching out to a literary agent to buy a struggling novel, then we don't have David Lynch's collaboration with McLaughlin. You know, so we don't get right. Blue Velvet, which is, you know, yeah. I watched Blue or Velvet. Twin Peaks. Or Twin Peaks, yeah. I mean, but I, I watched Blue Velvet just because it's the thing they did right. I mean, I've seen it many times, obviously, but watching it right after you watch um, the 84 Dune and having like a, like a bottle of wine while you do both, Highly recommend. <laughs> Highly recommend. It's really great because you're just like, yeah, this is, I get, you're almost like, I didn't, this didn't make it into the book, but Kyle and I were talking like, it's almost like Blue Velvet is Dune in miniature in that, a weird that's way. That's funny. Um, mm. Because, in, in, but instead of like leaving home, he's coming back home to this small town, you know, anyway. Love Blue Velvet. What can I say? <laughs> Blue, Blue Velvet is an amazing film, and obviously, and you, you shouldn't know, watch it with your mom, right, Steve? That's that <laughs> damn right. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought he, I thought he had so many great quotes, and I love when he, you know, he he's under contract. He he can't tell anyone he's doing this movie because at the time it was like the old Hollywood star system. They signed the five a five movie contract, and he couldn't talk about what he's working on. And finally, he's with his friends in like Times Square or something, and says, "There I am," and points to the billboard, you know, and and his friends are all like, "So." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, no, it was those great ones they do and they still do, you know, where they painted it on the side of the building. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. So it was a giant paint, paint it was a mural, right, of, of of him as Paul. And he's like, that's the net thing I've got coming up. And yeah, and his friends, like you say, this is in the book, they're just like, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, because he couldn't do anything for like a year. 
right. um, and he had signed a, a, a five-picture deal to do sequels, which is also shocking because Paul's not even in that many of the books. You know, right. what I mean, so whatever they were planning, um, uh, Dino De Laurentiis was planning. You know, is sort of sort of. But shocking. it was like the old Hollywood star system. They they had him under contract. They weren't going to let him do anything. They thought this movie was going to be such a hit that they were just going to put him in movie after movie after movie. Yeah, I mean, and that's amazing that Dino didn't find a way to welch on Blue Velvet. <laughs> that he ended up making Blue Velvet because that was part of his deal with David Lynch to do Dune. I mean, it's amazing. It, it is. It is shocking that, like, as bad as all the problem, all the thing, all the things that Lynch had problems with, I should say, as as bad as all of that was, it is shocking. Like how many people, Patrick Stewart and Alicia Witt, two people I talked to that were in the '84 Dune, and obviously mm -hmm. Alicia was a little kid. Sure. But they're just like, that was the fucking greatest movie I ever worked on. You know, <laughs> like Patrick Stewart was just like, ah, oh, lovely memories. You know, like he just was like, you know, like, and, and it's not, they're not, they're not making it up because it's not like people have been asking them about this yeah. forever, right? Because it's not like in the 90s, people were like going up to Alicia Witt when she's, you know, 20 and being like, ah, Dune, you know, or Patrick Stewart was obviously <laughs> we, we would have. Dune, Dune, I like that. <laughs> but, um, you know, Alec Newman was another one who's very lovely, you know, and, uh, Talked, you know, obviously he was on Trek later too, um, on right. Enterprise. But um, another guy who was just like, greatest experience of my life, you know, like, you know, like I made. Yeah, but made, that made. doesn't count the sci fi miniseries. I don't know, Mark. <laughs> the, the, the sci fi miniseries is that, is that it was, it was like the Babylon 5 of. Yeah, that, I though. know. It's 90s. So it was really cheap and the sound was bad. <laughs> Wait, <what? laughs> well, the, director of, the de director of photography. I know is Vittorio Storaro. Yeah, a, yeah. I mean, this guy does. does he love Dune so much, but he also is like you watch some of the stuff looks pretty good, and then you know you like this is the guy that Woody Allen uses. You know, like and there's and then there's the couple of shots where they walk too close to the back wall, and you can see their <laughs> shadows on the dunes. <laughs> I think that like I have a love for that kind of stuff because of my love for like the 79 Buck of Rogers course. or Space 99 where like when you can see the strings it's better you know what I mean so I think for me that was but that, that was, was the 70s that wasn't the 90s I know that was all I good know. <laughs> I know I know it looks like shit by the I, 90s things should look better let them alone yeah. Mark <laughs> it, is hard, it, it is hard to reconcile that the that, that the Battlestar Galactica and Children of Dune came out the same year on the Sci-Fi right. Channel. They, yeah. do, they, you know, it looks like that Children of Dune came out in like '91, and you know, but you know what, you know. Children of Dune is eons better produced than the Dune miniseries. It's true. It's uh, I love Children of Dune, and I think it's uh, it, it's one of the best adaptations I've ever seen. It, yeah, and it, it and part of it is also that what I love about it, Darren, is that. Um, Julie Cox, who plays Irulan, gets to actually inhabit that character in a way that right. no actress has been allowed to do because Irulan right. actually gets to do things in those that that Herbert sort of hints at. And, you know, with those, the, Harrison and, and the people that worked with him, John Harrison, the director, mm -hmm. they wanted to adapt it, but not, they wanted to fix some of the stuff that Herbert wasn't great at. And so right. if you just look at the scripts of those, both miniseries, they're actually really interesting and the kinds of things that if they had just kept those scripts and, and the effects and they'd had more money, right. there's a chance that I think they would have been. Um, and, and I really like, obviously, the 2021 uh, uh, Denis film, you know. So, yeah. I mean, there's sure. that too. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's something really, really wonderful watching Children of Dune and seeing them just try to get that nuts with those and two it, books. It's, it's, yeah, it, it's great how they mesh those two books together so that they work. Uh, when, when you're reading them next to each other, they kind of don't. Well, right, because Dune yeah, Messiah is really short. 
it's yeah. it's 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 like it's a, like an epilogue. Yeah, it's or like a prologue, depending on how you look right. at it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, exactly. But by the but, way, Ryan, you'll appreciate this. You you mentioned that Patrick and uh, Alicia both had great experiences. I'll tell you somebody else who had a great experience who I talked to at length about this. Because and, and he probably would have preferred I talked to him about Das Boat, but I talked to Jurgen <laughs> oh, uh, cool. about it, and he had a great experience. He 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 loved doing that movie. That's cool. Jürgen, yeah, I'm, he's my favorite of those uh, that's who've played that character. He's great. You know? I actually like him better than Oscar Isaac. And, I mean, I think the Villeneuve is great version is great. Will it be that bad? You don't get it, do you? You don't really understand the grave nature of what's happening to us. For 80 years, Arrakis belonged to House Harkonnen. 80 years of owning the spice fields. Can you imagine the wealth in your eyes? I need to see it in your eyes. You never met Harkonnens before. I have. They're not human. They're brutal. You have to be ready. Uh, it's, it surprised me how similar it is to the David Lynch version. Well, and how people genuflect to it. It is a way, remake but, of the Lynch movie. Interesting. Because it, it it leaves out the same scenes that the Lynch movie does. I, I think that's a strong statement because I think, look, the problem with Dune is that it is, I think it's very, very difficult to adapt because of the way that it was written and because a lot of the concepts that drive the storytelling and the adaptation choices that you have to make, I think by nature of what they are, push you towards the uh, the choices that are made in the Lynch film and in the Denis Villeneuve film, um, that you 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 kind of need to, because otherwise it's very difficult, I think, to get your arms around what that story is going to be. Like to Herbert's credit, but also um, just, I mean, if you kind of sit and just think about that that those books, any one of the books, as a writer, like, and you just and you imagine somebody saying, "Please adapt this." It's just like, where do you even start? Where do you start? Uh, just uh, even like Lynch couldn't crack, you know, the um, the the how do you, you know, do the telepathic communication? It plays look, and as much as I love that movie, like it plays a little goofy in the uh, in the Lynch movie. And it's because it's such a difficult thing to adapt. Well, maybe if if George Lucas had done it, there would be more of the political machinations. Uh, yes. <laughs> in the script. Maybe Jimmy Smith's. But I think that what's cool about the Lynch version is is that I know that this is mocked a lot, but that those you know sort of voiceover narrations where people were getting what they think are yeah. really close to the the roving narration totally. in the novel. Yeah, and, and so it's one of those things where you're like, it, it's corny. I guess it, it would be a one way to 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 describe it, or goofy, or off putting. But it's funny because I mean I know Mark that you're a big Bond fan, but like you know I've been doing a several rereads of the Fleming books. And something that strikes me that's so interesting that the films could never capture is how much, and I was talking to Kim Sherwood, who writes the Bond continuation novels now, and she was saying, yeah, you know, you can never get into this character's head in right. the films because, it, and then in the novels, there's such a different experience because that interiority is so awesome. Dune is like that with like 15 characters. Right, yes. right. And, and and so I think that that's, and which is interesting because, you know, Terrence Young almost directed, a, 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 the director of Dr. No, almost directed a, a, um, a Dune movie in, in the, in the seventies, which is also really interesting, you know, wow. if you think about, but, but I think, which is in the, the middle of my book um, that I talk about the, 
the um, Albert Jacobs one that was before the Jodorowsky one, which I found way more interesting because I'm a huge Planet of the Apes fan. Arthur, um, Arthur Jacobs. Yeah. Arthur Jacobs. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I wrote Arthur it down. P. Jacobs. I wrote it down <laughs> so I wouldn't have to remember. But yeah, I think that I, I, I think that the um, what was I saying? Somebody take over. You were saying, uh, I was just going to say, you talked about these unproduced versions of Dune. Yeah. And of course, you talk about the Ridley Scott version, which yes. preceded um, the, the David Lynch Blade Runner. And wow, and wouldn't that have been Blade amazing? Runner. But it, 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 and that Blade Runner ended up coming out of his dalliance with Dune. Yeah, why, why Blade Runner in Dune have this dance is really interesting because, of course, then you've got. Denis doing Blade Runner 2049 before right. doing Dune is really strange. But well, yeah, but, but also, know, but also Alien coming out of the you know the wreckage of the Jodorowsky version, right. another Ridley Scott production, which is crazy. Is it, that is my that is my biggest thing. I am not a huge fan of that documentary, the Jodorowsky's right. Dune documentary, and I, I did interview the the director uh, Alex Pavich. He's great. Yeah, but I found it to just be like a very like some of its conclusions were a little bit like I don't know if everything was ripped off from you know this no. this particular film, but um I did that was my basic thesis is that the most interesting thing about that to me other than just the story of itself which that documentary covers very well is that we got Alien, is right. that Alien was birthed out of a an unmade Dune which is also kind of like. Thank God, because Alien is one of the greatest films of all time. Yeah, you know, like, and so it's like, thank you, Dune, for not working out. You know, I'm, I'm I, in in that world. You know, I think people are like, oh, the Jodorowsky is one of the greatest. Most I, I see no evidence that that would have no. been no. the greatest. <laughs> it looks like a disaster. I'm just gonna come out and say I hated Son of Son Gray. I mean, yeah. like you're talking about a movie where like somebody, if she were choking, she could give herself a Heimlich maneuver. It's just, it's that kind of a film. My um, take. But I have to ask, you know, like, you know, what your take is on the tech bros who spent like gazillions of dollars buying, you know, the storyboards and the concept art for Jodorowsky's <laughs> Dune, thinking that they were getting the rights to make a Dune movie. Yeah, it was like, my agent and I talked about this right when I sold this book. And I was just kind of like, it just sounds like they don't understand how intellectual property works. Right. You know, like, it just sounds like that they actually don't understand anything about publishing or how things are made. I don't know. I, I, I have like a Sherlock Holmes um, approach to things that I hate is I just don't know them. And I just delete <laughs> them from my mind. Like I just don't. So it's like I, I read that news story and I deleted it from my, my, my yeah. mind palace. It was just gone. Like I just refused to remember it. <laughs> you know? but, but, didn't, but didn't Jodorowsky take all the material that he developed for Dune and just publish it as a new like comic book story? Yeah, essentially. I mean, yeah, it, but it, yeah, but it's also kind of like, you know, that stuff. He made these books that were, that are hard to get, um, you know, and they're, they're, they're hard to track down. And there's only a few copies of them. So I think that, I guess the, to answer Ashley's question, I suppose that they believed that if the rights had expired on Jodorowsky's Dune, that perhaps that it was just this nebulous yeah you know, thing, you know. Chain, that, that, yeah, chain yeah. of possession, yeah. It's like 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 Rebel Moon or whatever, right? Like, right, that, right. You know, like, you know, like I thought maybe they could Rebel Moon it. My my know? take my takeaway from that whole Jodorowsky uh, documentary is that, man, oh man, did we dodge a bullet. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah that's the thing. And, and I think that also just like, yeah, it, it's it's interesting, but I do, I, I, I definitely, and I know that there's podcasts 
that we that I have been on um, devoted to this. But sometimes I do. I'm much more interested in the thing we got yeah. than the thing that we didn't get. Um, and I think that sometimes with people, who, particularly with people who don't know what they're talking about, I think the problem with that documentary is I noticed it empowered a lot of people to just repeat the talking points of the documentary yeah. rather than you know, actually do their research. Cause I was just like, you know, fuck you're talking about, you know, like, you know, like that, that sounds horrible. Like it, the, the planet becomes sentient at the end. Like, um, you know, look, yeah, I, I, I think it would have been great, uh, for someone who'd never read the book. Yeah. It, well, it's an, it's unknowable, right? Like, like Jodorowsky never, never did. Yeah. <laughs> well, he did eventually. And that's something that's a bit of point of contention with the, the documentary and documentary hmm. there, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he went into it not having read it. That's true. Well, let's talk about the 84 Dune. One small point. Here it comes. We ourselves will see a slight problem with in-house Atreides. Paul. Paul Atreides. Do you mean, of course, Duke Leto Atreides, his father? I mean Paul Atreides. We want him killed. I did not say this. I am not here. I understand. Because I think that's all a right. film that all of us actually like quite a bit. And we yeah, didn't even yeah. need the glossary of terms to understand. That was that was so, my entry point to the to the whole thing. Yeah, me too. Me too. And uh you know, particularly at the time it was uh it, it was so revelatory. And yet it got absolutely hammered uh, by almost, with the exception, you mentioned David Anson, but the majority of critics back when critics mattered um, hated it. You know, they just found it awful. And, 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 and you know, I, I mean, I remember very vividly Siskel and Ebert just going on about how confusing it is, yeah. which was weird because Robert, uh, Roger Ebert was such a huge genre fan. I yeah. mean, it's certainly more understandable than Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. <laughs> and, and Ebert had famously, you know, given Star Trek The Motion Picture a, a decent, you know, not the best review, but a decent review. Right. You know, and I don't I don't think that Dune is more or less incomprehensible. You know what Watch I mean? Watch it. Well, no, no, oh. I like, I like <laughs> the motion picture. I like Certainly in comparison I, I to the theatrical version. How about that? Yeah, I guess that all yeah. I'm saying is that it's weird. It's, and this is well documented, and this is in my book, and it's in other books. But, you know, it's well documented that that the studio killed, killed it. Yeah. And that there was blood in the water and that the journalists did what they do. And they do this now too. They hear that something's not doing well and they just start deciding what their take's going to be before they see it. Yeah, and yeah. I think that, that that Dune is one of the most cruel victims of that. The 84 yeah. Dune, from what research I've done and from folks I've talked to and just, because you read every single magazine that comes out before, whether they're a mainstream magazine or it's something like Enterprise Incidents. And it's just effusive. Yeah. It's just star log. Everything is just like in every interview. My favorite thing, piece of ephemera that I got for research was this recorded interview that Lynch did with Frank Herbert. Ooh. Um, wow. I transcribed this, this bad boy. Um, and it's just great. It's just Herbert and Lynch just as a love fest. And they're just talking about how great it was to work on it and Herbert's, you know, tell talking me about, about the worms, Frank. And worms. Like, well, <laughs> well, they dwell in the dirt. And he's just like, I just think that 
David is just his visions are better than mine. You know, it's just great. You know, and, wow. and so but but all the all the press is like that. And then you you compare that with something like Alien, right? Same thing. You read like a Starlog story on Alien before you even knew what the monster was. Like it's like this is gonna be the best movie ever, and it was. You know, um, I just think it's fascinating because it's really hard to find from people that cared anything bad ahead of time. So it really was something that you know the studio hurt the publicity. There's a famous story that Harlan Ellison tells about not being allowed to get into a press screening. Um, it's almost like they didn't want friendly journalists to see it. Right, right. Um, and well, I wouldn't call him a friendly journalist. Yeah. Well, Either he, friendly he, or a journalist. But, but other than he, that. He can be, he can be, an, he, <laughs> he, he can be a fierce advocate of stuff that he loves. Yeah. yeah. I, I think that is something. Like all Harlan Ellison, for example. Both sides of Uncle Harlan, I suppose. Um, I was, I, when he was still alive, I got, I got a few phone calls from him that were all, all very kind. So that what that were terrifying when the phone rang, but then ended up being kind. Well, but yeah, then, I mean, just one example. He's one example of somebody who would have been an advocate for the film who was not even really, who was kind of well, prevented from even seeing the it. The bottom line is that the '84 film is the. Uh, is the most successful film that Alan Smithy ever made. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk about that because, of course, you know, this is so interesting. David Lynch for years would not talk about the movie at all, right? He, he hated it. He, he disowned it. He didn't want to have it. Recently, he said, well, it'd be nice to go back and revisit it. Now, of course, the studio did that ab abomination, that... Uh, <laughs> four-hour thing that Raffaella put together, the TV yeah. version with, mm -hmm. with the storyboards and the, the voiceovers and the, the Alan Smithy version um, that I guess got turned into a cut by a fan, which apparently is pretty good on the German Blu-ray yeah, or something. The, the Spice, Spice Diver right. cut. But yeah. uh, tell us a little bit about that. And, of course, um, why you think all of a sudden, after all these years, you know, um, David Lynch is sort of coming around to the point where it's like, well, maybe it would be interesting to revisit this. I think, I mean, I didn't interview Lynch for this, and there's one chapter of the 84 Dune in, in my book, I should say. And I should say that there is an oral history that just came out that is giant by Max Every, uh, which is great, which is called uh, A Masterpiece in Disarray, which is only on the Lynch film. Mm. So it's probably a better question for him. Um, but from my research and my understanding of it, first of all, we're referring to a TV cut that was put together after the film was out that confused people like me a decade later as being the director's cut, which was not right. the director's cut at all, which Raffaella De Laurentiis put together. She's the producer uh, on um, on Dune and Conan uh, 2. Yeah, I saw um, that on that documentary, yeah. 1982, yeah. Greatest Geek Year Ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> great documentary, Mark. Thank you. I thought so. Um, but... Uh, you know, they, it's bizarre and has, you know, as we've, as we've all mentioned, has these bizarre illustration storybook thing at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that's where Lynch had his name taken off of it. You know, I think there's an urban myth that Lynch had his name taken off of it when it came out in the theaters. And that's not no. true. Um, that's not true <laughs> at all. Um, so I think that, you know, and even the research I did indicated that Lynch had wanted to work on the TV version. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that some of the myth of Lynch's hatred of the film is comes down to a few interviews that Lynch has done over the years where he said, I don't want to talk about it. Right. And mm -hmm. like even when the Venuf movie was coming out, he was just like, I'm not interested and I won't see it. You know, um, to answer your question, Mark, why is he um, more coming around, perhaps? I mean, I think that that's wishful thinking. Um, I don't know if he will. Um, 
Well, I but, don't think it's that he will. I think it's that the studio won't. The studio will. Well, you know, I mean, I think that it's because the movie's not bad, you know, and then yeah. I think that uh, that it's unlike, I mean, can we come up with a parallel example of something from the 70s or 80s that has a bad reputation that deserves it? That's a science fiction film. Uh, you know, Flash Gordon. <laughs> I love Flash Gordon, man. <laughs> People love yeah, Flash Gordon. I like no. watching Timothy Dalton with that whip. You know, yeah. like, <laughs> you know, no, like a sci-fi movie that has a bad reputation and deserves a damnation alley. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Great book, by the way. Not a good movie. Yeah. yeah. But I, I'm trying to think of something that, yeah. But anyway, I suppose that it's because, I mean, the whole of David Lynch's most famous films are after, arguably. Right. After, I mean, not well, to say anything. Eraserhead and Elephant Man, yes. Not, not to say that those are not yeah. his most famous films. Perhaps they are. But I don't know. For perhaps people um, who w were watching all these Lynch movies on VHS, and like the first Lynch movie I saw in the theater was Mahola Drive. Right. You know, like to me, that whole thing existed post Dune. Um, so it's all the but same. You didn't thing. see it with your mother. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I would. I would love, you know, I mean, I, I think it would be cool if somebody just was like, let's just make a sequel to Lynch's Dune, <laughs> you right. know, like a rogue, like a rogue sequel, <laughs> you know, and have it be Children of Dune and everybody's yeah. older, you know, everybody's about the age they should be, you know, maybe that a would, little older, you know, that would like, be you awesome. know, Alicia Witt tells me in the book that she would want it to be Alia, you know, again. Oh my God, she would be great. They wanted her, yeah. she was going to do it for the sci-fi miniseries. She's and I a sweetheart, out, by the way. But, but uh. yeah, she's great. But she was sort of like, oh, yeah. I was like, it's like, you should do it for the, you know, the Venu movie. She's like, oh, I'm too old now. I'm like, no, you're not. No. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. No, so. she looks That's, great. She's awesome. Well, yeah. I, yeah. I, I look, she loves genre. I look forward to uh, Denny Villeneuve's uh, remake of Crawl. Yeah, right. Don't get Ashley going. Remember the glaive. I remember. I've been watching Crawl recently, and I think I just got to say that that's a great Horner soundtrack. That's all. It, it, it is. It's and so, so much of it. <laughs> <laughs> and it will be again. Well, no, you can't say that anymore. But it, and it was before. <laughs> I, got, I, got a, I got a Kroll CD that was like a re-release for like two bucks at a local record store recently. And I went on eBay and I realized it was worth like a like hundred. Nice. That it was like a weird, I was like so happy. I was like, yes. Um, I don't know. But um, <laughs> Well, that Dune Encyclopedia is worth a pretty penny. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, that was an ex yeah. I mean, we yeah the the magazines are too. It's, that's the funny thing about Dune. Every single piece of ephemera is extremely expensive. Like it's not like you can't. It's not like Trek or Star Wars. You can find the cheap. It's like everything is like eight hundred dollars. You know, Crawl um, is part of that great uh, that great Battle Beyond the Stars Star Trek Two um, uh, uh, collection of era. But then I got from La La Land this week the forty eight hours uh, uh, side of his career. Um, the Gork Gorky Park, which I just oh, love. Cool. This is a great James Horner score. And uh, La La Land just put it out on um, 40th anniversary edition. Terrible movie. Great. What do you score. guys think of the uh, What do you guys think of the Dune scores? Oh, I love it. Oh Toto. my god, I love them. Why did yeah. they never do another movie score after that? Toto. 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 Like, Toto yeah. Look, let me tell you something. I love that score so much that. Um, Look, for you the want first to take it behind seasons, the middle school? And, no, yeah. No, for the first two seasons of my show, I told my composer, Tangerine Dream, Tangerine Dream. The third season, I said, Toto. And I <laughs> sent him the the, the, the score for the Dune. Dune. And, like, and that's what I want. Like, that is that is one of my favorite scores of all time. And by the way, I also love the Hans Zimmer score for the uh, the, 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 uh, the Villeneuve. It's totally John Williams' son. 
So, you know, there's a lot of the conspiracy theories that John Williams actually worked on it, which I don't believe. But he did not. Right? Uh, no. it's That's a new a, one. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't feel great, like it. It feels like it's such a great score. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'm waiting I, for Weezer to do a cover. <laughs> no. and, and, and then I, they I, I, caught, I caught that Ashley. I got that connection. Thank you. Yeah. Well, today instead of you know Africa, they'd sing Arrakis in the closing credits. My favorite thing in the book, as long as we're talking about records, is that is that in '77 there was this record by David Matthews, who was a jazz artist that was called Dune, and it was a you can get it on eBay very easily. It's very cheap actually. It's one of, but it's got Dune in the Star Wars font. And it's got like jazz covers of like Star Wars music. Wow. Uh, but the first several tracks, and this is in my chapter on Star Wars in my book, but the first several tracks are like original compositions from David Matthews. No right. relation to David. No Matthews. relation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, though I would like to see that collaboration as well. Arrakis, That's hysterical. Um, but um <laughs> <laughs> Sleeper must awake. Uh, that, that's not David Matt. Okay, I gotta ask. <laughs> I it's is. a great title, "The Spice Must Flow," which, of course, is only from the movie. It's not even from yeah. the the yeah. books. Which I love that that's the title of your book. So let me ask each of you, because it's amazing how quotable this movie is. Favorite Dune quote. So I'm gonna start with Darren. What's your favorite oh, Dune geez. quote? Uh, probably. Uh... Uh, it is uh, it is by will alone I set my mind in motion. It is by the juice of Safu that the lips acquire that the thoughts acquire, acquire speed, speed. The lips, lips acquire stains. stains. The stains stain. become a warning. It is by will alone I set my mind in. Motion. <laughs> nice. Okay. What about you, Ashley? The Duke will die before these eyes, and he'll know. He'll know that it is I, Garen Vladimir Harkonnen, who encompasses his doom. Do you remember um, on the? It's on the on score. The, it's on yeah. the score. I'm just going to say on the original yes. score, it's they have dialogue. Like yep. we needed that. Okay, Steve? Steve. What about you? Well, you know, it's hard to go wrong with. I will kill him. <laughs> fade, lovely fade, lovely fade. Nice. Wait and then for Ryan my is brother, his, Baron. <laughs> Bring in that floating fat man, the Baron. Uh, yeah, as opposed to the other floating fat man that they might bring in. <laughs> I, I, uh, I had not a, Harry uh, Mud. <laughs> I have a an audio an audio book of uh, uh, of the author reading excerpts from yeah. Dune, and it is so great to hear him. Pronounce these names the way he wanted them Boy, pronounced. <laughs> and it sounds it's like so my oral history books. It's so much fun to hear it coming from the source, to hear Frank Herbert saying Harkonnen and know oh. that that's the way it should go. Like and Sarah, going if you can find oh. it, I think it's still on Audible. Harkonnen yeah, just sounds I, I will cool. say one of my favorite moments, yeah. and it's kind of a quote. In the movie is, um, I mean, look, we they've gone to a lot of trouble to establish that Moadib is a killing word, right? That like that it like it's a it's a it's a it powers like the weirding weapons, and all of the Fremen are standing in this room and they all point their weapons in the sky at the roof yeah. and they all go Moadib at the same time and every time <laughs> I'm like, why isn't the roof caving in? I don't care. But I it still is the studio love it. that made Earthquake. 
<laughs> and yet, just just to show you like how sort of obscure the Dune Lynch fandom is, I, years ago I went to a taping of the Stephen Colbert show, The Colbert Report, and Stephen came out to do his warm up. And as part of his warm up, some of the audience asked, you know, do your children understand the power of the Colbert name? And he <laughs> chuckled to himself and said, "What is it? A killing word? Like Mutin?" <laughs> and I burst out laughing and very quickly realized I was the only person in that whole studio audience that laughed at his joke. And Stephen turned around, locked eyes with me, and came running up into the audience and gave me a big hug. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kyle, oh Kyle in my book was commented on the Colbert's fandom and told me he's like, "Oh, Stephen probably could have been a Paul. He would have been different than mine, but he would have been good." You know, That's like funny. he like genuinely, like yeah. he wasn't. Yeah, yeah. You know, he wasn't throwing. He's shade a couple there. years. He's a couple years younger. I would have younger. Yeah, he would yeah, younger yeah. than Kyle was at the time, which would yeah. have been slightly more correct for the book, yeah. oddly. Right. Um, you know, in terms of how Paul is supposed to be. My favorite then, Dune quote, sorry. of course, is, uh, you know, Heineken, fuck that shit. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Pat's Blue Ribbon. Um, fuck that shit. <laughs> uh, so I got to ask you, you know, obviously, I think, you know, we all are fans of varying degrees of the Villeneuve version as well. Sure. Um, how, um, you know, how do you feel that this delay, you know, obviously it's been pushed to March uh, because of the actor strike. Uh, is going to affect things, and do you feel like because you know Dune was not a huge hit? It did well enough internationally, and Legendary right. has a stake in wanting it to succeed. Obviously, with the TV, the Sisterhood, they have in development. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so what do you think the future of Dune is at this point, and what are your expectations for the sequel? Yeah, I'm mostly just pissed because uh, it was supposed to come out when my book came out. Right, you know? yeah, so, tell me about <laughs> it. I'll, I'll tell you something funny. My Bond book was supposed to come out when Never Say Never Die came out, and then yeah, we missed yeah. it because Never of Say Never Die. Die. So then, so then they timed the paperback to the second time when it's rescheduled, and it gets pushed again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Missed it completely. Yeah, yeah. I love that book, mm -hmm. Mark. Never say, yeah. never die. Never die. <laughs> By Pete. I can't even say the name of the movie. I hate it so much. <laughs> Starring Pete Potwistle. Um, I am, uh, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think that one of the reasons I, I decided to do this book was um, because I interviewed Chalamet and Denis and Rebecca Ferguson before the movie came out. And I just enjoyed those interviews so much that I wanted them to live in another way. And, but I was kind of like, this movie's it's Dune, you know. Of course, COVID was going on because it's Dune, and now Dune Part Two is happening, and of course, the strike's pushing it because it's Dune. Dune just yeah. can't have a normal thing happen yeah. to it. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be Dune unless there was some kind of thing <laughs> happening that was fucking it up. And in this case, not even its its own fault. Um, yeah, you know. So I, it, I was sort of like, I remember talking to Morgan Gundell, who's a good friend of mine, <laughs> um, about light guy. Inner light guy, yeah. More, I had dinner with him VIP a, a couple couple weeks ago. In yeah, nice guy. He's wonderful. He's but nice guy. He's yeah. He's been like. A, like Wait, a, hold on. You're in Portland, Maine. Oh, oh yes. okay. Portland, Maine. Yeah, because okay. he's in DC okay. um, now. Okay. Um, but he and his wife were up in anyway. He's like he, they're like quasi godparents because they sent my kid clothes and stuff a lot when she was little, and they just they're great. But he, I remember him talking to him about Dune before it came out, the 2021 Dune, and I was kind of like. He's like, how is it going to do? I was like, we'll never know how it would have done. Right. Right. Like, we, right. because of the strange way it came out. And so my mm -hmm. answer to you is similar, is that it is that we'll never know, really. Like, if this comes out in March and people are like, ah, oh, shit, it really should have come out in November or October when it was supposed yeah. to. 
we will never really know. I think it's kind of a bad time for it to come out, honestly, in mm-hmm. March, uh, just as yeah. a, from a journalistic point of view, like as mm-hmm. somebody who covers movies and TVs every day at my day jobs. Is everybody's focused on the Oscars? Yep. And it's not a good no, it does it does it have to do with maybe booking IMAX windows before the summer season starts? Like I, I think it's about promotion. I think it's about having the actors available to do it. I mean, and it's too bad because I think it would have crushed uh the Marvels under its Jack Booted Heel. I don't know if they I think that what and you guys have more experience with this and more you know, my experience here is much smaller and shorter. But I, I don't think they people gotta do what they gotta do. I, you know, I obviously think that both strikes are correct and people need to get what they're what they're owed you know in terms of them moving the film i don't know if it was that smart of a decision because i do think that it probably would have done fine without chalamet on the late show yeah. you know what i mean i think right. it probably would have done fine but i don't know you know what i mean like, I, I think that this is so overstated the power of having the actors promote i agree they, 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 i think that it's their excuse for why things haven't worked you know, so oh well, the actors weren't out there promoting. It was like, do you realize that um, you know Timothy Chalamet and and uh, Zendaya have millions of Twitter followers? There's a way to reach them without them. I don't think that you know I mean, her her people. It's an are excuse. Necessary. It's an excuse to put the money that they spend into next year's fiscal year. Yeah, that's and, all. And I think that like for me, like I I think about when I was a kid, right? So I'm like, all right, like how often was I seeing? Patrick Stewart promoting Star Trek First Contact on TV. Not very it's often. Commercials. You know, I had to like and record, trailers. I had to record the, I'd be like, oh shit, they're going to, Jonathan Frakes is going to be on ET, record right. it. You know, like it wasn't like, you know, so I don't know. I feel like some of that's a little overstated. And I just think the time of year is too bad because I think that having Dune come out in the fall is ideal. It's like a, it seems like a big movie that like yeah. you'd go to with your dad or your, you know, whatever. Like, I don't know. It just, it might it, mean more internationally. Like that, could. that may mean more, Which like domestically. I think it's trailers and commercials on Thursday night. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, but I think that maybe internationally, it's more talent based. But maybe not. Well, right, because because know. the movie, because despite it being dropped on HBO Max, you know, it still did well internationally, and that's why yeah. we're even talking about this. You know, that's right, why. It, totally. That's what you know. That's why the sequel even got greenlit. You know, so I don't know. You know what I mean? I think that said is I think don't. And I again, the movie would have done fine because. I think you can't underestimate how popular Tim- Timothy Chalamet is. Whether he's promoting the film or not is irrelevant to me. Yeah, um, yeah. But I got to say, and this is right in the front of the book, as you know, Mark, is that when I interviewed Chalamet, I was won over. And I was not ready for that. He was charming. He is a charming, thoughtful human being. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. Like, I was not expecting that. We've all interviewed a lot of actors. Um, we, we've all worked with actors. We all know, you know, what, you know, not... All famous actors who are great at their jobs are fun to talk to. Some of them including are including some feature in your book. Yeah, including some feature in my book. Yeah, but yeah. he is—he is, is just—he's the real deal. And yeah. I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I get—I get—I get the whole thing. Because you know, I'd seen other—I've seen Little Women, and you know, all you know, call me. What did you think of Villeneuve? What was your take on Villeneuve from talking to him? He's great. He's—he's he's one of us. Yeah, he just wants to sit around and like talk about things he loves. He's yeah. he's he's one of us, like a hundred percent. Like, and well, I don't know. I, I like his movies. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say that like every single one of his movies is my favorite movie ever. But you know, Arrival is pretty fucking awesome. You know what I mean? And like, you know, I don't know. He's I like I like Blade Runner 2049. I've got some problems yeah. with it. Yeah, for sure. But like, I, really I like, like it. it. Um, it's so I like ambitious. It. 
I like it more mm-hmm. now than when it came out, weirdly. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one of those stories where they were trying to tell me how to write my review of that movie. Mm-hmm. Which pissed me off. Warner Brothers sending me emails like, "Can we see the review?" I was like, no, no, no. "Fuck off!" <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, but yeah, like um, but yeah, as that as time has gone on, I've just gone back to Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I'm just like, this is pretty cool. The There's so much about it. All, that's great. You know, that's why well, listen, I, I, you could see it was bombing. That's when I had to run out to the same week and see it again on a big screen while I still had the chance. Well, it was still in theaters. But yeah, I mean. But, you know, Blade Runner and Dune are similar in that way where you're like, they're very popular, but you can't prove it. You know what I mean? Right. But, you know, Dune, <laughs> but, Dune, but, but Dune is, e- it's easier to prove because you have the best-selling novel. You know what I mean? And those, those numbers, you can't. And with, with, with Dick, it's kind of like, yeah, well, it was, a, you know, it was a, one of his books, but it's not his best, you know? And, you know, like, um, it's not the same. You know what I mean? You would never say. But that's where have- Chalamet and Zendaya really helped. And yeah. Jason Momoa and all these, Jason like, Momoa. people that have a following. You know, I think that, that they were very, he was very smart because it wasn't wrongly cast, but at the same time he cast it, cast people that would attract an audience that normally wouldn't go to a hardcore sci-fi movie. Yeah, and I think that that's exciting with some of the cast for the sequel too, right? Like yeah. having Florence Pugh in there is great. You know what I mean? I don't know how she'll be as Irulan. It's one of my favorite characters from the book. As long as she has, I, oh, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> oh, so I you, forgot you to tell can't. you. You can't yeah. underestimate the power of uh, appealing to a 12-year-old boy like who has issues with like the last God only knows how many, you know, Marvel movies, right? Well, I mean, right. I I can't wait for the scene where the uh, emperor says uh, uh, Irulan, you may want to write some of this stuff down. <laughs> that's a pretty good. That's a pretty good walk in. That's, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I like Jose Ferrer though. I yeah. love you know that scene where the guild navigator comes in at the, the beginning yeah. of the movie. But that, that isn't great. in the book. I don't care. Well, so, uh, <laughs> we haven't we haven't mentioned this, but my favorite my favorite scoop from my book is that the phrase "the spice must flow," which is said by a nebulous character after yeah, yeah. after Virginia Madsen's opening narration, is a secret report from within the guild. Right, and that's Kyle MacLachlan as well. That's yeah, right. I, I, I love what you say. You can never unhear it. It's like Harrison Ford doing the narration for The Empire Strikes Back. That's right. Once you know, yeah. you know. And you know, it never yeah. goes away. But it was so cool to like confirm that for yeah. real from him and him being like, oh, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess so. You know, He like, should have done the narration in Villeneuve's version. Yeah. Because when he's watching the, the, the tape or whatever, oh, yeah, it's yeah, terrible. Yeah. Film book, film book. Yeah. Like yeah, they yeah, should have yeah. had 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 uh, Kyle do that too. Yeah, the sand walk. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that would have been great. But yeah, I think that what I have a six year old kid, and she obviously hasn't seen Dune, but we did listen to the opening narration of from the eighty four the right. Virginia Madsen, right? You know? And you know there is something really magical about that. What I like about Dune as a idea. For is it's not just twelve year old boys; it could be twelve year old girls too. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. and I think that that's something else that Venuve has tapped into. You know, um, with some of those casting choices and and all those people are extremely talented. There's too. a it's whole like, society of female you know. Jedi's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, and so I think that there's I think all of that is um, because a lot of what I've noticed just from um, getting some sort of like messages from you know book book reviewers is a lot of them are like young women who are getting into reading science fiction mm. like in college mm. or whatever like, that's oh, interesting you know and i and i've i've noticed that with this book more well my trek book actually there was i mean trek is so you know it casts such a big net you know so you you'll, you'll get all emails from all sorts of people when you do anything about star trek but um 
But with this, I was kind of surprised. I wouldn't know. um but yeah i mean i think that it i think that it it unlike maybe blade runner which is maybe doesn't cast as big of a net you know what i mean Mm. i think the ideas of dune and the faces and just the 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 the, the aesthetics you know you can see people like oh i'll give it a try you know if you're like 15 and you have no idea what you're going to see you know so i think that maybe it'll do great in march maybe it'll be a smash i don't know i hope so i hope so i hope it encourages more serious science fiction and that there are a lot more of these movies because, you know, he's a guy who's passionate about what he's doing and, you know, passion is, is such an important part. Well, of he it. wants to do one more. He wants to do Messiah. And that's it. You know, mm. that's what, you know, he told me that in 2021 and then that's been reiterated many times. He doesn't want to do the Kevin Anderson, Brian Herbert books. <laughs> <laughs> you know, everybody's real careful of what they say about Brian. I'll say that. Yes. Um, you know, and I didn't, and I, and, and the Brian deal that I had was um, Brian was aware of my book because it's the same parent publisher he would not participate in it, and I was very bad. No, I was happy because I didn't oh, okay. want to be. I, I I don't know. I like having an out. I'm I'm a coward, you know. Like I like <laughs> having to just be able to avoid something as a as a writer of nonfiction when I just didn't have to deal with it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Um. So that was that was my take on it, and also I was kind of like my book's not for people who are interested in those books anyway. I talk about them a little bit. Right. Yeah, because you're, you know, because yours is a big picture book. You know, it goes yeah. from the publishing the original uh, books to the movies to you know, um, and and then you know, post Herbert. And again, I thought the 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 interview with the widow was just sensational. It was yeah, she's a really she's interesting pretty, story. She's pretty cool. She's a pretty cool person. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, the, but yeah, it, I think that my my thing about that is that it just goes to show you that just because you've read like a piece of something on Wikipedia. That there's like a huge, there's a whole person there that's just like, hey, nobody's asked me, you know, mm. my side of the story. And I didn't feel like going out there and, you know, because not everybody's like that. No, not everybody feels right. like going out there and setting the record straight. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, Ryan, it was great having you. The book is The Spice Must Flow from uh, Plume. You can get it at your uh, local bookstore or, of course, on any of the uh, digital platforms like Amazon, uh, Barnes Noble, all these these great places. And I narrate and, the audiobook. Uh, Nice. And you narrate. You, oh well, that's a real selling point. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, what uh, what's next for you? I am working on a novel uh, which is a uh, crossover between Sherlock Holmes and The Great Gatsby. Wow! And there is, ti- and there is time travel involved, um, and I'm working on selling that as a series. Right now, <laughs> wow! Fascinating. Well, good thing we're in the next over. ten days, and that is the first. That is the first. Oh, it is a book series. It's called um, the Seven Percent Martini. It is just called yeah. Sherlock. It is called Sherlock Gatsby. It is just called Sweet. Sherlock Gatsby. Um, so Fantastic. That's what I'm working on now, and I've I've been skittish about saying that out loud, but we're far enough along in the process that I'm like, the book will definitely exist in some form or another. Sweet. Fantastic. Well, it was great having you, Ryan. Good luck with the new book. And uh, I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Thanks, guys. See, we should have split this into two conversations. Part one and part two. <laughs> part three, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, and then we could... We could, we could Deck 78 Messiah. <laughs> <laughs> God Emperor of Deck 78. Well, we, of could, we could split it up into like a thousand episodes and only a few of us know them all. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that was great. Uh, I like that Ryan Britt, and and I think it's a terrific book, and I hope people will uh, check it out. 
Um, yeah. I'm also going to pick up that new book. I wasn't going to mention it, but since he did, uh, the one that specifically focuses on the 1984 uh, movie as well that just came right. out. Um, because that's such a fascinating story. Do you guys have the German uh, um, Dune? No, I, I desperately want it because uh, I want right to see the here. Spice Diver cut. It's I mean, great. It sounds a little naughty, but well, you can watch the Spice Diver cut in HD on YouTube. Can you? Uh, it depends on what week it is. It's it's been oh. pulled down and put up uh, several times, but uh, uh, I, I will say that I I really enjoy it and it uh, it feels good. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, I want to hey. I want to check it out because I have the American Arrow uh, uh, Dune for 4K. Mm -hmm. I don't have the German one and uh, that has the spice diver cut and the documentary by uh uh ballyhoo which is supposed to be so good which i i don't have either so so there's and no i, end I do have a platform agnostic player so maybe i'll try I to get think i got rid of uh no my player is an atheist um but i i got um i got rid of that old universal disc that had the uh uh the the alan smithy version uh, on it, right which which was a mistake i should have held on to it but when I heard that it was coming out in 4K, I'm like, I'll get rid of this Blu-ray. I don't need it. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. It's uh look, we, you know, I think we Dog showed in the, in the title. We showed in the interview that we are all huge fans of the 1984 movie. And uh it's uh it's nice to have someone to talk about it with and not be laughed at. Yeah. <laughs> well, I no, have to look, say this it's a difficult you know, like there's things about the movie that don't always work, but it's brilliant and eminently watchable. So why shouldn't we talk about loving it? Well, because we 1984 did. is a very delicate time. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. And it's a very delicate time for Tech 78 because we're about to say goodbye. What? Wait, give me a line. Give me a, <laughs> what? give, give me a what, what's a line at the end of June? He says goodbye to the Duke. Not to the Duke. To, it's to raining on Goodbye, us. Baron. Well, anyway, well, listen, uh, great to have Ryan with us. As always, it's great to have you join us here on Deck 78, where we talk about uh, wonderfully um, topics in pop culture. And um, for our 430 Movie uh, Plus subscribers, I hope welcome aboard. And, of course, our Trexpert Plus subscribers. Um, Every week, we're back on Thursdays with Inglorious Trexperts, and the 430 movie will be back later this year with an all-new season, our seventh season. So we hope you'll wow. you'll be around for that. That's pretty exciting stuff. And it's crazy. We just started our sixth season of Inglorious Trexperts. Um, but uh, if you want to follow us on social media, Glorious Trek, Inglorious Trexperts, and 430 Movie Pod on Twitter and Facebook. Or is it 430 Movie Podcast? doesn't matter. You start taping 430 Movie Pod, it'll get you where you need to go. <laughs> <laughs> Screw it. I don't know. Whatever. I don't, I, I don't you guys know. are smart. You know how to use the Google machine. <laughs> yeah, I'm smart. <laughs> Not like everybody says. <laughs> <laughs> I was passed over. Uh, when are we going to do our Al Ruddy tribute episode? Oh, that'd be fun. Mm, I don't know. Okay, we'll have to, we'll have to think about Deed, that. Deeds, not words, Mark. That's right. And if you have uh, uh, ideas for future episodes of Deck 78 or things you want to see on the podcast, other than the black hole, uh, please uh, send us an email at trexpertsplus at gmail.com. That's trexpertsplus at gmail.com. We don't want to hear any more about the black hole. We know we haven't done it. We know you want to hear it. Although our very Darren first Deck 78 care. episode was technically the well, black hole episode, and we didn't sending, talk about it. That's why, that's, right. they, that's why they're all irate. That's why they're upset. <laughs> are they? That's why they want to? Yeah, they are. I'm getting well, a lot of at least they're subscribing about that. 
<laughs> at least right. they're subscribing. Exactly. Plus, it's 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 really upsetting me because Darren is sitting in front of a he has a Darth Vader behind him in his office, his recording studio. But I guess the air conditioning is kicking up, so his yeah, cape and the, keeps the billowing. Cape is going. Yeah. Lord Vader needs his cape billowing all times. <laughs> yeah, dispense with the pleasantries. <laughs> Yes, but the you know he didn't also realize that I have the uh, 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 the decal sheet from the motion picture enterprise behind him in a frame, so it's all <laughs> it's all balanced. There is balance oh. to the force. By the way, I canceled my Tomy Enterprise. I'll talk about that oh. on Trexford. So good. Okay. So anyway, guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of Deck Seventy Eight. We'll be back in two weeks with an all new episode. So until then, on behalf of Stephen Melching, Ashley Edward Miller, Darren Document, and myself. Fire the rockets. Trexperts Plus.